We're in the Gospels for Passion Week, just one week, Luke chapter 5, for tonight's text for reflection and Bible study, Luke chapter 5. If you're new to The Rock, you'll know that Wednesday night is Old Testament night, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and we would be starting a new um, book, actually, First Samuel, in the life of uh, Samuel and Saul and King David. But we are in Passion Week, and so uh, my heart just feels drawn to the Gospels, and uh, the Lord laid something on my heart that I want to share with you tonight out of Luke 5. And with that, we'll ask the Lord for his blessing. Now, Heavenly Father, as we uh, turn our hearts to reflect upon a miraculous incident that Jesus did there in Luke chapter 5, we pray that the meaning would come home to our hearts and that we would be blessed with your truth to grasp the, the realities of what you have for us through this story. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the incident I'd like to bring to our attention for the purpose of reflection really happened early in Jesus' uh, three-year-long ministry, not during his last days, but it sets the tone and it's very instructive and speaks volumes as to why he came to earth in the first place. So tonight, uh, through a miraculous catch of fish, uh, Jesus will illustrate God's heart toward us, toward you and toward me, and how we might best enjoy the fullness of life and joy that Jesus came to bring. A verse 1 through 11. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, it's uh, Lake of Gennesaret is the same as Sea of Galilee or Sea of Tiberias, so it has about three or four names. The Sea of Galilee, there Jesus standing by with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. So for our reflection tonight, really, 
I'd like to begin by noting that Jesus liked to express through miracles the embodiment of his teaching, the gospel. And so he would come and he would say that he is there to open prison doors and set the captives free. And then he would cast out demons. He preached that he was the light of the world. He said in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. If anybody follows me, he will never walk in darkness, but he shall have the light of life. And then he'd open the eyes of the blind. He would say that he is the resurrection and the life, and that anybody who believes in him, though he be dead, yet shall he live, and that he would raise them up on the last day. And then, of course, he could speak to a dead person and raise them up, which he did three times as recorded in the gospel. So here in the early days, this incident with the miraculous catch of fish really has a lot to say to us about the truths of God's heart toward us and that he taught us. In John 10.10, 10, he said, the reason I came is to give life to you abundant life, that you would have life to the full. In other words, that you wouldn't just be existing like so many people do, existing to just get by and to make ends meet and just not kind of grope around and try to find your purpose in life. I, I came to give you this rich, full, satisfying peace, contentment with purpose, love and joy. He actually goes on in John 15 to say uh, at the Last Supper, he said, I'm telling you all of these things that your joy might be complete and full. He says, I've told you these things. Now, up until now, you haven't asked anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. And so we just see constantly in John chapter 7 where he says, hey, whoever believes in me, as the scriptures say, streams of living water will flow from within him or within her. That's God's heart to us here. And now the miracle is kind of the object lesson of the great truth of the gospel, the reason the Son of God appeared was to give us life and not just eternal life. That eternal life starts today, the day that you believe and put your trust in him. That's what he wants, your life to be vibrant and healthy, full of his presence and his word, full of purpose, rich in contentment, love, joy, and peace, balance and integrity, a good reputation, a life that you enjoy, a life that has meaning. Well, now this miracle, how to enjoy that? How, how if you look at this miracle, you will see encoded in the miracle for us keys to enjoying this abundant, full, net kind of life. And we're going to talk about that. So as I read this, even this week, just thinking, wow, I, I, it's speaking to me. Do you want this kind of experience? Well, then look at what happened and do the same thing. 
And so we're going to take a look at verse 3. What was the first thing? Well, the first thing I got out of it was to enjoy God's best blessings, we should have a servant's heart. So number one, it just seems like a small thing. And I think if you read the verse, you'll even miss it if you're not careful. Verse 3, Jesus needed something from Peter. Peter had something that Jesus needed, and Peter was okay with that. Now, think about this. Now, they're on the Sea of Galilee where Jesus has begun his ministry, and your verse tells you that the crowds were pressing and gathering around Jesus, listening to God's word from the lips of God himself. Matthew 22 and verse 33 says, When the crowds heard Jesus speak the word of God, they were, quote, astonished. The word means to be struck and then lose your breath. They were shocked, amazed. In fact, the word means to panic as well. So you can imagine, here you have the living word, the second person of the Godhead speaking as God himself, the one who spoke the worlds into being, and through his word, everything holds together, speaking plainly into your own ears, from from the mouth of God himself into your ears that he himself created. Wow. Well, no wonder the word astonished. I think that's the greatest adjective you could find in Greek to explain what it was like to listen to God speak and teach his word. He taught, it said, as one who had authority. Yeah, he did, because Jesus is exalted to the highest place. His name is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, kudios in the Greek, supreme authority, no higher name. He's the highest name speaking. And so when he's speaking, that kind of authority over and over again, you hear because he spoke with authority that astounded them. And so here he is doing his thing, speaking to the masses, but he can't reach them. He's hindered there. They're they're stepping on each other's toes there. And so he sees an opportunity. He needs something. He gets into Simon's boat. It's not his boat. It's Simon's boat. And he pushes out a little way, and he's going to have perfect uh, acoustics there. Why does he want to do that? We'll talk about passion. When he sees the crowds, he has compassion on them because they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That's Matthew chapter 9. And so Jesus sees these crowds hungering for truth, demonized, oppressed, walking in darkness. And he's the living word of God. He wants to heal them. He wants to save them. He wants to preach to them words of life. He's motivated that way. And as he taught, people were coming to life. They're being set free. They're coming to faith. Romans chapter 10 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So, but in order to do that fully and effectively, he needs Peter's boat. 
He climbs in, he pushes off, he uses it as his pulpit. There, the Sea of Galilee, which we, Lord willing, will see uh, if you come on the Israel trip next year. It is being dialed in now for May. Uh, we've accepted a, an offer. It's not signed, uh, but we are looking in the final stages of, of contracting with that uh, company. And so uh, the Sea of Galilee is part of the tour. The Sea of Galilee is 700 feet below sea level. It is bounded in by hills on every side. And so Jesus is using the lay of the land to its fullest by uh, stretching out a little on the water and then they are lined up on the hill going upwards and he's got a perfect little uh, auditorium for his sermon that will bring life. My point in all of this is catch this. He can't do what he wants to do to the, his fullest potential without Peter's boat. And today, God cannot do what he wants to do without his people's help. Cannot. He does not. He wants your mouth. He needs some of your resources. Those are resources he himself gave you with the intention that perhaps he could use them later in a way to further his kingdom. But it, it's astounding to me that he needs humans. Go into town and follow this guy with a water pitcher and, and, and get this room because he needs the room. Somebody had to say, you know, you could use my upper room. Do you want to use my upper room? Yeah, I really need one. I don't have one. Could I use your upper room? Yes. That was a good move. Whoever said yes. Hey, could I use your donkey? I need a donkey. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9 says that I, the king, will ride in. I need a donkey. I don't personally have one. You do. Would it be okay with you if I used what I need? Your donkey. Not okay? Well, what are you doing? I'm taking my donkey. What's going on with that? The Lord needs it. The Lord needs it. Well, yeah. Have the donkey. And have the other donkey next to it and the horse. <laughs> it's a good move, wasn't it? Because the way God says, thank you for loaning me that which I loaned you, um, brings great dividends, doesn't it? So that just blew my mind. It's like fullness of nets. God's blessing in your life starts with a servant's heart that says, God, I'm with you in your plan. What, what's mine is yours to use as you see fit. And so I yield and I'm compliant to you to use my life as you see fit. And you just get so blessed. He needs our hands and feet, our mouths, our time and all of that. I was talking to a pastor friend who was out in the church parking lot one Sunday morning. It was packed. And he said, I just get a wave of nausea. I feel sick. And I just think, 
all of those people are going to be staring at me for an hour. And I got to have something to say like it came from the Lord. And then he heard a little voice speak in his heart. I need you. I need you. I need what I gave you. I gave you an ability, and I could really use it right now. Is that okay? I know, you know, you got to stand up there, and sometimes it doesn't go as well as you want, and sometimes... Thank you. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> Apparently, even tonight. <laughs> All right. What a blessing to have God say, hey, can I? Can I? And you go, yeah. And now watch what happens. He's going to say, I want to say thank you, Peter. And I'm going to make a little overstatement here because I'm a little dramatic. You know, I am the Lord. I'm allowed to be dramatic. And he is going to be dramatic. But he, you, if you missed this point, you didn't get the story. He wants to say, look what happens when I use your stuff to do my work. It's the foundation. And so Peter obeys, number two, the Lord in spite of his natural inclination to do otherwise. So after the sermon's over, it's time for the object lesson. Put my word into practice and be blessed. So verses four and five, let's go out into the deep, put down the nets and do a little fishing. A very familiar story to most of us. Now, <clears throat> excuse me, Jesus would like... Peter and the boys to do something in a way the world doesn't. Now, of course, that's lesson number one for any Christian. It's the word of God and the Spirit's voice and God's will that determines how we do life. We become citizens of heaven when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit comes in and he says, I've taken you from this kingdom of darkness and transferred you over, transplanted you into the kingdom of God's beloved son, into a kingdom of light. You are now citizens of heaven. And uh, we take our cues now from the Lord, not from human logic or our own understanding or the world's wisdom. Listen to Isaiah 55. He says, lesson number one, when you come to me, he says, let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my ways, my, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So what is he saying? He's saying we have a, a way different way of doing things here in heaven than you all do in earth. Uh, what's highly esteemed by men is detestable to God. That's a quote from Luke chapter 19. And so lesson number one is I'm going to ask you to live your life in a very contrary to the world, contrary to your own natural inclinations and unconventional, unconventional ways. That's lesson number one from this story. Why? Notice the slight irritation in Peter's voice in verse five. He says, you know what? Um, seriously? We're done, been there, done that. We, the, you don't fish, 
in broad daylight. My dad was a fisherman. His father was a fisherman. You are a carpenter <laughs> and a rabbi, but we do fish. And you want me to get back in the boat and go out in broad daylight in front of my friends, in front of the other fishing firm down the street who knows uh, you don't do that kind of thing. You fish at night. They come up to the surface. It just, we don't do things like that. Now, this miracle is meant to engrave forever in every Christian's mind. Life with God is always going to be unconventional and run contrary to our own natural inclinations and the spirit of the world. So Peter has to jump some hurdles in about 1.7 seconds because the Lord says, hey, I want you to do this. And Peter's like, uh, uh, my first inclination is no, you gotta be kidding me, seriously, we just did it. I know more about this than you, but you know what, because you said so, I'm gonna do it. So he has to jump some pride issues. What are you saying, I need your help? I'm a guy. You can't tell a guy that you're a failure and you're coming up with empty nets and you need another guy's help. That runs counter to everything we are. I got to swallow some pride here and say, well, maybe I don't have all the answers and maybe I do need a little help. And talk about going against my own convenience. I'm tired. I want to go home and see my wife and little kid. I'm hungry. I want some breakfast. We just dried the nets and took all the little debris out and we folded it nice and neat. And now you want to go back out in a time when you can't even catch fish. But because you said so, we will. That was a good move. Now, in short, he says, I don't get it. It's not how the world works. I'd rather not. But because you say so, let's. Now, there's a multitude of unconventional commands, and it is a command. He is in command form, go and do this, that we must obey if we wish to see a full net of blessing. He says, number one, how about seeking first my kingdom, not yours. Don't be running after all oh, just the rent and the clothes and the food. He says the pagans do that. But what I want you to do is do something different. Live for me, and I'll take care of the other things. Seek first the kingdom of God and being right with me and all these other things that the pagans run after. They'll all be supplies because your father knows what you need before you even say it on your tongue. Love your enemies. Talk about counter to my own heart. The people who hurt me, he says, uh, I want you to pray for them. Are they hungry, thirsty? You know, do something nice. Feed them. Give them something to drink. Go the extra mile. Be patient and kind. Be forgiving. Overlook personal offenses. Obey the laws and respect the leaders. Are you kidding? Have you seen who's leading? And what they're doing, obey the law, respect the leaders, pay your taxes. All of them. Who wants to do that? <laughs> Nobody, including Christians. 
Nobody wants to do any of this because it's counter to ourselves. He says, deny self, pick up cross. I'm going to ask you to live in a life that just is counter. It's dissonant from your normal way of life. So he says, we'll have to make a choice with Peter either to whine and make excuses why we can't and won't do it God's way or just bite the bullet and say, you know what? (laughs) Because you said so, I'm going to anyway. And now watch what happens. The Lord overstating his point, he knows how hard it is for us to do what we don't wanna do. And when you do what you don't wanna do because of him, he gets very excited. I mean, that is faith in action. You want to prove to somebody that you're really a Christian? Live counter to your own desires. Why would anybody live counter to their own desires? Because there's something more important going on than my own desires, which proves I must believe that because I'm dying to my own ambition and desires. He likes that a lot. Obviously, he just about drowns them with blessing them. You know, he's just trying to make a point. Now, here's a paraphrase. As soon as they did what Jesus said to do, there was a sudden jolt and the boat tilted downward as the nets began to fill to the breaking point. They called out to their partners in the other boat to come and help them out, but their nets were full as well, and both boats started to go under from the weight of the catch of the fish. Now, of all the faces that I want to see in the replay when God lights it up on the sky, I'm going to ask him to see a lot of Bible stories, and so you're welcome to join me on that night. And of all the faces that I want to see, I don't. I know what the guys are thinking when the fish are jumping and the Lord is calling them to do a little rodeo into the net, and there they're doing it. And and but I want to see Jesus' face when, when the boats are sinking, they're pulling down, the fish are flying, and everybody's like holy chaos at Jesus' face. <laughs> Tell you. I could just see it. Now, I got a nice quote here in case you misunderstand what the lesson is all about with the fill of the fish. Wouldn't it be nice if obedience to God always guaranteed physical prosperity? While God indeed promises to provide for all our needs, the full nets encompass so much more than just fish or dollars. It's about peace that passes understanding and a joy that transcends our circumstances and rest for our souls. It's about a clean conscience and purpose in life and healthy relationships and contentment and understanding of one's purpose and the wisdom to live life in such a way that God will bless it with answered prayer, rich fellowship with him and an establishing of the work of our hands. Sometimes our nets come up apparently empty. A loved one's taken. On Sunday night, 
our first missionaries introduced was Aaron and Matt Har, um, Chuck O'Daniel's daughter, married Matt, and they have a little baby, and they are serving the Lord all over the world with YWAM, but London and Nepal. And as she's telling the story, I whispered to Barb, should I go up there and tell them? And it was good that I didn't because I, I didn't want to just deflect from what she was saying. Her mom, two and a half years ago, was killed by a drunk driver on Lano Road, picking up their uh, uh, Aaron's sister from Annalee. And Aaron's sister survived. And mom went to be home, home with the Lord. That's an empty net. But not what I saw. I saw full nets. That's what excited me. I was sitting right there and I'm saying, this girl's got full nets. A beautiful Christian family. She's shining. You should have heard the testimony. We've gone from London to Nepal, and you see these pictures of her holding little orphan kids and, and being translated in the language, preaching the gospel, and she's shining. Full net syndrome right there. Empty net in the world. But we don't walk by sight. She walks by faith, and she sees past that. So you lose a job, you know, or you don't have enough money. Allow me to go back to missions tonight. I'm talking to Jim Stein, who's directing gleanings for the hungry down in Modesto, where they send millions of pounds of dried fruit and soup mix to, to countries all over the world. And they live in this little tiny half unit and uh, left a very nice home here, and uh, he, they hardly have any money. They hardly have anything. And he's telling the story, and I said afterwards, I'm standing by the dried fruit with him, and I said, do you have health insurance? And he said, no. I said, so, appendix. He said, you know what? The Lord is in this. He's called us. He takes care of us. It doesn't make sense to the world. I, we don't have a lot, but we have everything. He said, we have everything. And I said, you know, you're making me jealous. And I'm not feeling like a real Christian around you. <laughs> I'm going to go home and watch TV. How sinful could you be? How superficial? You know, and he said, listen, you're called to live your life. And God will judge you not based on comparing you to me, but comparing you to your own life. He's not going to judge you for, for having stuff that God has given you and allows you to enjoy. But right now, he's called us to some empty nets that are full with everything in faith. And so you just see all his five kids loving God just they just beamed. And so all I can say is don't think just every time you pull up an empty net, oh, no, what am I doing wrong? It could be what are you doing right? And look for the fullness of blessing and joy and peace that passes understanding and usefulness to God in his kingdom. Final verses here. When Peter looks around, I'll paraphrase for you, the splashing frenzy and the boat sinking and Jesus' smile it hits him. 
This is no ordinary rabbi. He falls on his knees and says, Lord, if you only knew how sinful I really am, you'd want nothing to do with me. Jesus reassured Peter and said, Peter, stop that right now. Knock it off. Put that fear far from you. There's no need for it. You'll be working for me now, impacting people's lives, catching them in nets of God's love and mercy. All right, so finally, just some closing thoughts. The cycle of blessing for full nets involves humility and the fear of the Lord and a life dedicated at becoming what God is making us to be. So as the fish obeyed Jesus' command and Peter of all men knows how miraculous what was going on was, uh, he has an overwhelming moment. He says to himself, God Almighty is in the boat with me. That man is God. He calls him Lord. He gets it. Nobody else, not a prophet or good moral example, is going to round up fish enough to sink two boats on command when fish don't even jump into nets in broad daylight. I'm surprised there was a fish left in that whole sea after Jesus got through with them. What a story. Those guys could go in and tell a fish story for reals <laughs> into town. Not the one that got away, like the whole lake was ours. <laughs> well, God is in my boat. God is blessing me. God is putting those fish in the net because he apparently likes me. This is going pretty good in this story. And then he gets it. And has to go to Jesus and say, you, you, I think you've got the wrong Peter. There are some other Peters in town. They're really nice guys. They've got some integrity. They don't cuss like me when the fish don't go into the nets. Uh, you really, uh, yeah, go away from me. You don't know what's in my heart, what I think. Even when you're in the boat, I'm thinking these things. And the Lord says, don't be afraid. It doesn't mean don't get scared right now. It means stop being fearful. It means it's calming an existing fear. He's saying, Peter, I know exactly who you are. I created you. I know how sinful you all are. You're with me now, and I'm making some changes. You're going to be a different man because of me. Disciples are to be led in love, not driven in fear. His fear and his trepidation, his lack of confidence before the Lord, his reticence to go forward with Jesus is caused by guilt and shame and conviction of sin, which is really well-grounded without the cross. But because of Good Friday, Jesus says, oh, irrelevant now, taken care of. You cannot be driven by the fact of your sinfulness when I will pay every penny of your debt. 
that that cause. So if I deal with the cause of your shame and your fear and your trepidation before God, if I deal with the root cause of that, then your feelings are irrelevant about it. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Feelings of condemnation are totally 100% irrelevant. They do not have any true reality or existence in the universe because God has willed himself to put your sins away and willed himself to remember them no more. Therefore, you remember them. The devil would like you to remember them as well because he remembers them. But God says, I don't know what you're talking about. Unfortunately, a lot of people don't get up and follow Jesus after Jesus convinces them, look, I dealt with this. You're covered. You're forgiven. You're with me. I bought and paid for you. Let's just move forward. A lot of people can't do that. And they think somehow that they're being super spiritual by beating themselves up because they are still in possession of a sinful nature, which I've told you many times, survives conversion. There's not a day that goes by that any Christian isn't prompted or tempted by the sinful nature that lays sort of dormant, depending on how you're walking with the Lord. The most heinous things could go through your mind and come out of your mouth, your thoughts, your feelings, and all of that. And sometimes you mistake that for unconverted experience. In other words, you think, am I even saved? And so you've got a lot of people who are not going forward with God because of their, their inability to receive the truth of what happened on Good Friday, that your sins are gone, past, present, and future, the ones you will commit, done. Now you're free to get up, follow him, and, and, put it, and go forward instead of being debilitated by a sense of uh, no confidence before God and sh- guilt and shame that God has already dealt with. Let's close with Isaiah chapter 6, where, where uh, Isaiah gets this vision of the Lord. Why don't you turn there, and then we'll read it, and then we'll close. So Brother Isaiah gets this beautiful vision. And look, he kind of does, he pulls a Peter here. Verse 1, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet, and with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another in this vision. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. That's a glory smoke, a cloud. Woe to me, I cried. I'm ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, 
and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. See, now he's able to go forward. Now he's got the sin thing done. He understands he's forgiven. The Lord, he does, can't understand totally, but Isaiah of all people's kind of got it down. Isaiah 53, you've got pierced for our transgressions, wounded uh, for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And so it's very important. L listen, the closer you, you get to the Lord, the more you're going to be painfully aware of your great moral failures and your sinfulness and your need for holiness. But allow God's grace and the truth of what happened on the cross in his death and resurrection for you set you free from that sin and stay far from it because every sin that you commit is, is work for you to have to confess it and have to feel forgiven again. Sin is just deadly. And so these are the ways to enjoy God's fullest blessings in our lives, to, to, to let him use our lives and our resources for him and his kingdom, to be open and obeying even when it seems crazy and against the very thing that I want to do, and then he will bless us fully with his rich blessings. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your great love. We love this story. We want to live it. We're not very good at it. But teach us, Father, to walk in cadence with you and your truth. In Jesus' name, amen.